Welcome to yet another episode of Is This Seat Taken? I've got the main man, Sam, my former best friend, Kira, and I am your decommissioned Autobot pup. Today, we are talking homes, whether it's a house, apartment, condo, yurt, mansion, RV, log cabin, or treehouse. We're going to talk about them. While this show is for your entertainment, we would like to shed light on the epidemic of homelessness we have in this country. There are half a million homeless people in the U.S. You can visit the National Coalition for the Homeless at nationalhomeless.org to see how you can help. There are homes built from every imaginable substance and every imaginable style, shape, and size. From homes built from retired airplanes to a motorized microcapsule apartment in the shape of an egg. People build on cliffs, underground, between boulders, and on top of volcanoes. They buy old firehouses, churches, and factories and turn them into living spaces. Where you live and what you live in is only limited by your imagination and budget. So you guys, we're talking about homes. We're talking about cool houses. We're talking about the housing market. We're talking about pros, cons good, bad. That's just what we're going to do tonight. So I thought I'd start it off. Uh, One of the coolest houses and one that I really kind of fantasized about living in as a kid was the Swiss Family Robinson tree house. Now, obviously, I am not old enough to have read the book when it first came out or to have watched the film when it first came out. But it was something that I saw and it must have been one of those. I think it was like ABC had Disney films on Sunday nights or something. Aside from the desert island, aside from riding the ostrich, what they built with the, I mean, obviously it's a movie, but what they built and in the book, what they built with just the stuff they had on the island, palm fronds, um, I'm guessing twigs and branches and everything you've seen in these survival type movies. They built a freaking mansion and a tree pretty much, right? They even had the water system set up. So what's cool to me is the Swiss Family Robinson book was written in 1812 by Johann David Weiss. 1812, they're not that far out of kind of living with that simplicity. I couldn't tell you when the Industrial Revolution happened. Don't ask me. It wasn't futuristic, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. They were When it was written, the way it was described, the way uh, things were built, the way the house was built, the treehouse was built, were exactly what the homes were like at that time period, pretty much with probably the exception of, you know, gas lights or oil lights, uh, things like that. So that's really cool to me. And then they kept it as simplified in the film in the Disney movie that came out in 1960 with a couple little, I want to say like professor from Gilligan's Island improvements uh, and things like that. But what's crazy is it's a real place. In Tobago, there's the real Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse. And I think that's so oh, Really? Cool. Really, in Tobago. Oh. So just take your passport and you can head over. Let's see. I want to see. So because when the film came out, because it was really expensive to try to find a location to film like this and also have that wild nature look, they decided to uh, film on Tobago. What they built rather than sets was an actual functional working treehouse, which in theory is not hard to do. We, there's TV shows where they build tree houses. I think almost, I was going to say almost every little boy, but a good portion of American little boys and girls, their parents 
or grandparents or uncles built some rudimentary form of a treehouse, whether it was just a platform, you know, things like that. And treehouses in general, in, in books and in film, they seem to be this center for young kids. I mean, uh, stand by me. The, the kids all were in the treehouse and they were looking at, they were sneaking the peeks at the Playboy. They were trading, I don't know, baseball cards, things like that. It was this Americana little slice, little private place for kids, mostly portrayed as young kids, young boys that could go and be away from society, away from parents, away from authority. So I think that to me for a cool home, for the subject of this conversation would be something like a treehouse because it's an escape. For the Swiss family, Robinson, obviously it was survival. They weren't escaping from anything except maybe wild animals that were going to kill them on the ground. But for other people, for adults, for kids, for everyone that has that sense of fantasy and whimsy, go up, get in the trees, get in nature. You're surrounded by hopefully leafy branches, you know, and it just seems such a cool thing. And for me, someone who, as you heard with a thousand dogs barking earlier and having kids and, and everything that goes on in your life, it's so nice to think that if you could have a space that was away and above and secluded. So to me, that's why I chose this was Family Robinson Treehouse as my cool house. So would you have a treehouse she shed or would you actually move into your treehouse? That's a really good question. I feel like it would be a she shed or a victim shed. Let's not, (laughs) but (laughs) just because I, I think for me personally, It's kind of like if you had a cabin, but you live there all the time, it's not your escape anymore. So if I had a treehouse and I lived in it all the time, it would become less of a fun escape. You know, now I got to vacuum every day. Now I got to dust every day because it's my living space. And I think, I don't think I'd get bored of it, but I think I would get disenchanted. It would become normal and it wouldn't be as fun or fantastical for me. Sure. Yeah. And add into that, that I have slightly crippling fear of not heights, but falling from heights. (laughs) I still think I would do it, especially as, oh my God, I just thought of another epic treehouse. You, do you remember the Ewok village? Yes. With the little rope and stick little bridges. Yeah. Uh Yeah. A thousand Those bridges terrify me though. (laughs) Oh yeah. Like, cause they're, they're swingy and there's like no stability to them. And then, like, usually they don't have, like, slats along the side. So you got, like, bare, like, planks. Then you Mm -hmm. have a rope they have to hold on to. And I am not balanced enough to be able to, like, walk without, like, the... I mean, you've seen those things at, like, fairs and stuff where they're, like, if you climb this ladder, which only has, like, one connection point on each end, you get, like, the prize... I was never one of those people that could do it because I can't balance myself appropriately to not like flume, flume, you know, like. Mm. I mean, that's, a that's a whole other, that's a whole other ball of wax to talk about, but that thing's absolutely rigged so that you can't do it. Like nobody's. You know, able. I, I've seen like Adam runs everything and stuff like that. I've seen people like talk about how to do it. And I still don't think even knowing the how to do it, I don't think I could do it. 
And those bridges terrify me because I would be one of those people that would like, it would swing. And then I would go, I can't even stand up straight. I run into walls. I ran into like the door today when I was going to the bathroom, like with my shoulder, I was like, Ugh. you know, cause like ADHD and special relations. I don't know where walls are. I feel you on the door jam thing. It's like you got punched so hard. You stagger back like, ah, Pop, I think you answered what was going to be my next question is, would you include some sort of water slide feature like they had from the movie in your treehouse? Oh, I could do Goonies, Stop. like the Goonies water slide. Mm-hmm. That would be bad. That would be bad. Sort of like that. But. Yeah. I don't know. When I watched the the Swiss Family Robinson movie, I always thought it'd be really cool to like have that water slide right next to my house that I could play on. Exactly. I did want to say uh, the Swiss Family Robinson treehouse uh if you can't go to Tobago, which admittedly is expensive, you, well, I don't know with what I'm about to say, it might actually be cheaper, but you can see a reproduction or a reimagining of it at Disney World Orlando, um, Disneyland Paris and Tokyo Disneyland. So that's kind of cool. So if you're in those areas, you can wander around and pretend. And to, to Sam's point about the slide, I think a water slide would be fun, but I think you also would have to have like a regular slide because you don't want to get wet every time. Maybe into the, out of your little treehouse bathroom, your little water slide into a tub full of warm, bubbly water. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't have to be true to the movie. And no. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's great about if you have the time, the money and the budget to actually design your dream house, uh, which is something we'll talk about a little bit later, you can do whatever you like. You can take an idea like the tree house and twerk it. No, <laughs> you can work um, and you can tweak it. I'm like, you can twerk it. If my tree house, <laughs> that would be awesome. But also I wanted to say um, with the, the rope bridge, that Kira was saying, she's absolutely right. And I feel like there's only two ways to approach it. And I'm kind of on the fence as to which way I would do it. Either crawl it, like crawl like a baby, and it takes three years to get across, or run full bore. Just be like, I might die. I don't care. I might die. I feel like this. You gotta only- die quick or you gotta go slow so you survive. It's one of those two for me too. Yeah. Like I I'm like, I have to sit there. But I am not a fast runner either. Like I am the slowest person known to man when I run. So my sprint is actually like speed walking uh, geriatrics at the mall. Like that's, <laughs> that's my sprint. So like, like I, I would really probably crawl more so than I would sprint just because my crawl might be faster than my sprint right. at that point. Right. It reminds me, did you ever see the movie Horton Hears a Who? with Jim Carrey as the voice. And he's like, I need to be light as a feather. And then the feather breaks the bridge. And he's like, what's lighter than a feather? And he thinks that he's full of air. But meanwhile, he's destroying the bridge as he stomps across it. I almost peed my pants. I was cry laughing so bad. Because at the same time, if you know the book or the story, the little tiny guy in Whoville is at the dentist. And they're about to numb him with the anesthesia. I was wheezing. I almost peed my pants. I was dead. I I made my son, I rewound it and made my son come in the room and watch it with me. And he did not think it was as funny as I did. But here's the thing about homes. And I did say, we want to talk about not everybody has a home. Not everybody can afford a home. Not everybody who's in a home is affording it. It's tough out there. 
Kira, I would love for you to hit everybody with some hard facts. Some hard real talk. Yeah, give me that real talk, girl. Well, um, it's just always been one of those things for me. Um, like I was raised below the poverty level line and, and having electricity and a roof over our head and all that was never guaranteed. It was kind of always like a month by month thing. We never knew it was going to happen. And it's just, it, it's unsettling how many people, not just in our nation, but worldwide uh, live in that kind of tedium balance of, um, you know, having to worry about whether or not that they're going to have a roof over their head or, and having to choose between that or food, you know, to feed themselves or their children or whatever, and keep their families warm. And, you know, it's, there's some really disturbing statistics if, you know, and it, it was, it was eye-opening because for one veteran homelessness is, is insane. Um, you've got, you know, what was it? 38,000 veterans in the United States that are homeless. Um, and I mean, we won't even get into the VA system and how that whole thing is just a laughable joke uh, for most vets, you know, within the nation. But you have vets who are coming back from wars, not being supported mentally, emotionally, physically. They're not given um, the, the proper abilities to, you know, kind of get back to a normal life because they've experienced such horrific things that it's almost impossible for them to reintegrate without supports and help. And yeah, you've got a lot that were able to integrate, you know, because they have family who loves them and could help them, or, you know, they could afford to go to an outside therapist or something like that. But you've got a system in place nationwide that is not built to help the soldiers, women and men, sons, daughters, mothers, fathers who are coming back from giving their all to being able to thrive, you know, in a, a civilian world. Um, so, you know, things like that, like, I mean, you look at the homeless numbers and that's kind of that's just absurd. And, and then you also have, you know, economical things like, you know, you had in the housing bubble in 2008, which displaced 170,000 families as of 2009. You had collapsing home prices from subprime mortgages and back securities. It was, it was just, it was, um, it was just insane because you you had factors like rising economic prosperity, low interest rates, wider mortgage product offerings, easy access to credit. So, and, and the thing is, like, banks weren't doing anything because it was money in their pocket, and so they were just like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll give you a loan. We don't care if you you know can pay it back long term or not. We just we just want you know to get your money, and that's all it was. And so then you had like the housing bubble pop, which included a downturn in the economy, a rise in interest rates, as well as a drop in demand. And then you had like things like states like California that were severely impacted by this sort of thing. And now you're looking at the things that are that are happening again, because the housing market is, you know, the houses are rising 
incredibly in value. Uh, families are getting displaced out of their homes because they can't afford to pay their mortgage anymore because of the property rise in value. Like we bought our house in 2014 and it was under $200,000 for 3000 square feet. Now it is valued at almost $500,000. And if you look at that rise in value, it makes absolutely no sense. And we're in a non HOA home area. You know, we're kind of on the outskirts of a major city. So we were in a cheaper neighborhood and now that has just, you know, and I'm seeing, um, I'm seeing homes here going up for sale left and right because people cannot afford to pay their mortgages or any of that anymore. And then what's compounding these issues, like in the state of Texas, what you have is you have no regulation from outside real estate companies coming in, buying up these properties and then renting them out to people. And they raise that rent to like $2,000 or whatever. And none of that money gets put back into Texas. It gets taken out to Arizona and all this stuff. But you've got companies like um, Open Door and stuff like that, that do things in a way that it actually hurts us in the long run. And so like, one of the things that really, really upset me, (laughs) I was doing research, because I'm writing a book called Vanity Affair. And it's a modern era, gender bent pride and prejudice uh, book. And um, I was doing research because it's based in like a suburb of Atlanta with Eli Bennett. And he has to go to New York because he gets an internship with DeBerg Publishing. And so he goes up there, you know, and he's touring the area, kind of getting, you know, used to having never left his home to go to this place. And during that, I was doing lots of research in New York. And I was like, you know what? I need a Pemberley. I need a Pemberley. And what can I use as a Pemberley up there? And um, I found this mansion and I was thinking, you know, this is incredible. It's a great mansion. It's in the outskirts of New York city. Um, It was built in 1930. It was abandoned in 1970s. Um, And it was, it was, it was fantastic. But then I started thinking about it and it's it's a 57 room mansion that was entirely abandoned, like clothes, shoes, toys, all of that stuff was left in this mansion. It had a bowling alley, indoor tennis court, two bars, a library. And the thing that really kind of struck me was here you've got, you know, hundreds of thousands of people from 1970 when this thing was abandoned to like now, because it recently got, you know, bought and renovated and things like that. They've had how much time where they could have used the 57 rooms and converted it into some kind of facility to help New York City's homeless population. And so now I'm sitting here thinking, how many of these homes do we have that are abandoned mansions of like the gilded era um, or, you know, the progressive era or even the era of great depression where, you know, before, you know, wall street crash and all this stuff, how many of these places do we actually have that aren't being used? And it, it really kind of, it kind of opens your eyes to the things that the, the materials and the resources that we have to help those around us. And yet we don't.
because of greed, because of fear, because of selfishness. I don't know, but we, we just don't. Um, and it was a very heartbreaking thing for me to, to research and realize. And now that mansion, I just, it took me forever to find it online because it doesn't have a name. I couldn't find any information on the owners. I could like, there was no information online at all where this place was located. And I went to Twitter and I asked Twitter and some New Yorkers got back to me and they're like, I think it's this place. Well, then I found it on Zillow and it's uh, worth seven to $8 million. That's what it was bought for. And it's been completely redone and it's 60 acres of land, 32,802 square feet, 15 bathrooms, 27 bedrooms. And I'm sitting here like all of those years could have been used for something instead of it just sitting there wasting away and giving this home new life. You bring up a really good point uh, with the mansion. You said 27 bedrooms and 15 bathrooms. Yeah. Conservative estimate, 13 apartments, maybe 14. Mm-hmm. I mean, theoretically, yeah. they might, they might be micro apartments. They might be studio apartments. There's housing right there. It could be um, for a lower income. It could have been a shelter. It could have been a halfway house. Yeah. And that's the thing is like per square foot, it's only 204, it's $243. So even if you were to break that down into smaller living spaces with, you know, and then you could do nonprofit stuff and things like that and get a tax write off. And so like, I mean, there's just, there's ways to go about this to where it wouldn't be a huge financial burden to the state or the city or what have you to be able to provide um, space for, you know, these people to live and have a place to live. Um, but you know, now it's sitting vacant, you know, after being remodeled to be sold for $7 million to a one percenter, uh, who, I mean, I'm gonna be honest. I don't think anybody needs that much space. I don't know anybody who has 27 kids. Never mind the 60 acres that you could put how many tiny houses on. Right. 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 And what's crazy, you said it sold for like $7 million, but they refurbished it. So they probably put another two or three into it. So they're going to try mm-hmm. and sell it for at least 10, you know? Oh, I would sit there and say it'd probably be higher. Thir- like in today's market, it'd be 30, 40, yeah. 40 million easy. And that's like, that's the disgusting thing is the cards are being stacked against the little people. Mm-hmm. Um in every way known to, known to man. And the only thing that's happening is you've got the wealth gap that's ever widening. You don't have a middle class much anymore. You've got the upper class and then you've got the lower class because of, you know, just the way that the upper class has ruled and made laws that have absolutely not benefited any of us little people. Um, and then the, the, the even crazier part about that is, is how the upper class has spun it to mm-hmm. make it seem like they're helping the little people, but they're really not. Because in theory, in theory, Reaganomics should work if everybody did what they were supposed to do. So if the corporations get these big old tax breaks, they're supposed to pass it on to the customer and therefore things are cheaper for us. But they don't because the corporations see an opportunity to make more money and have to pay less. So they still like you've got shrinkflation that's happening right now where you put get less food in your package, but you pay more. And 
you know, companies do that and have been doing that for years, but it's starting to become noticeable now just because things economically are so hard for us from having to recover from a pandemic um, on top of, you know, job losses and things like that. And it's, it's kind of, it's, it's really disgusting because it becomes much more evident now, I think, because we are, we, we just went through a pandemic where two years of our lives are gone, where everybody was out of work. Um, you have people now that can't afford to pay back their mortgages or their rent that they were graced on because, you know, of the pandemic. You've got people who lost all of that work that can't pay back their student loans. You've got people who can't pay back or had their taxes taken away that they were banking on because the government gave us money. The thing is, is like we give the government money all of the time, social security, taxes, everything like that. And then when the people needed it, they gave us money only to take it back from us. So it makes absolutely no sense. They didn't do any favors to anybody because well, yeah, those people right then and there were able to pay back or pay their mortgages or whatever. Now they've got to pay back with their taxing, you know, their income tax returns, that money that the government gave them. So really, they're not doing any better than what they were before they got that money, which it's 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 just this vicious greed cycle that benefits absolutely nobody except for those that are in power, uh, be it um, fiscally or financially government wise or whatever. And, um, you know, and, and it's just going to keep happening until people are like, okay, enough's enough. You know, we, we, we voted you guys in to take care of us. You're our voice and you're not doing what you need to do. And that's, that's exactly right. And it's so funny because you're right. Middle-class is disappearing. I don't know if Sam uh, agrees or disagrees, but it seems like you said the 1%, that's exactly what it is. 1% of let's just say the country, we'll leave the world out of it, of the country can afford to live and 99% cannot. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. You might see people that say, oh, I'm fine. My bills get paid. Your bills get paid. Then you get your groceries. How much are you paying for health insurance? Your utilities? How much do you have left at the end of the month? Oh, well, not, you know, not much or nothing, or I still owe. You're not doing okay. None of us are okay. To quote my chemical romance, we're not oh fucking K, okay? And it's, this is like a whole, this is a whole tangent we could go on, but we're not, we're talking about homes and you're right about homes are expensive. And if you are, I spoke to someone who's talented, is working on a very popular television show two years ago, homeless as fuck on the street. And his thing was, he was working for the television show, but he was still homeless. Because why? Because he, to get an apartment, had to have first, last, security. Take into account that sometimes you have to have deposits for your I mean, utilities, uh, furniture to buy if it's not a furnished apartment. These add up. You also have, you also have to have a credit score, past mm-hmm. renter's history, and all of this other stuff. And the only way that you're going to get around that is going to be a rent by a personal landlord or something. And then those people don't necessarily have to follow by certain rules and laws that are in place to protect you. So it it ends up becoming a danger financially, um, sometimes physically for a person 
because they don't have a credit history or a renter's history or bad credit or whatever. So like it's, it really becomes a very tedious process trying to just get a place to live. And then you've also like, when I was talking to uh, Yulia uh, class about um, human trafficking, she brought up a whole nother side of it because you've got these people who have been trapped in the country. They have no family here. They've got, absolutely no documentation or anything it's hard to get the government involved to do things because you have to have that proof and then but in order to and then you have to stay here you stay here until they figure things out they give you minimal coverage with like therapy and things like that but you cannot get a job without having papers these people don't have papers because they have been kidnapped from their home country and then they're thrown here and then they're supposed to sit here and wait for what exactly, you know, and then they can't get a job. They can't survive. They can't live because they don't have the means to do so. So it's just, it's crazy. It's like, there's so many different facets of this that I don't think many people think about until they either experience it have somebody that they know experience it or it's brought to their attention via like a movie or this podcast or, you know, whatever outside force it is that does it. But yeah, it's like, it is crazy to try to get a place just to live. Absolutely. My soapbox now. I'm sorry. I get very impassioned about this stuff. No, you're fine. (laughs) I'm not just jaywalking tickets and absurdity. I've got some substance to me. That's right. And it's not, (laughs) and we're not even going to charge you for exclusive content. No. (laughs) What I was going to say is the gentleman I was referencing, the the point you brought up about the credit score, that's absolutely what happened to him. He got the money, the first and the last and the deposit. And then the renter, no, the, yeah, the person renting the apartment was like about to credit. And he had to come up with another month rent. And that happened to me. You know, that happened to me when I rented my place. They were like, your credit is no so bueno. And I'm like, I know, I know. And they're like, well, just another, you know, it's going to be a bigger deposit. And the other thing uh, with homelessness, the same person I was talking to, I made a generalization. And I said, everybody, you know, all the homeless, the homeless community, it's not their fault. They didn't choose to do that. And he said something surprising. He was like, you'd be surprised because he was on the streets in LA. He says, you'd be surprised how many people, how many homeless people did or do choose to do that. And he said, they're not by any means the majority, but it took me aback because I was like, that was a hell of a generalization I made. And I would still stand by my thought that most do not circumstances outside of their control, a pandemic, you can't pay the rent, you lost your job, you got addicted to, you know, substances. These things keep people from having homes and rising costs, like you said, keep people from having homes. And I know we are an entertainment based podcast, we try to keep things light, but we also want people to know we because we care because we are passionate about it. It's just it's just a crazy thing. To kind of take it down a couple notches, speaking of LA, 
let's see, we're in 2022. So about 13 years ago, a one bedroom apartment that was a home that had been chopped into like three or four apartments was $1,900 13 years ago. So can you imagine what a what an apartment or a home like that would cost now? And the thing is, my rent's going up, but my pay did not. And I think if if it's happening to me, it's happening to a lot of people, a lot of us 99 percenters. And what kills me, not to tangent, what kills me is to see people of the 99% losing their minds. And we're not going to get political. That would be another another episode. But they're losing their minds over the tax increase that the current uh, administration has proposed. Or I'm not sure Sam can correct me if I'm wrong. He's more um, savvy than I am. But they're losing their minds about it. And smart people, you know, reasonable people are going idiots. It's for the 1%. It's for people who make $400,000 or more. We want that. We are not getting an increase. Thank God. But it's so funny because people are so deluded, I guess, that they're like, they're raising our taxes. No, honey, they're not. It's the only thing right now that we kind of got going for us, us poor folks. Right. Well, and see, I think the thing, though, is, is it's like it's like putting a Band-Aid on like an arm that, you know, got lobbed off. Like, <laughs> you need a tourniquet, man. Like, the things that people are doing, both sides, all sides, it, it's not helping anything because nobody is actually diving down and going into like, you know, it's, it's just like a cancer eating us up and nobody's willing to just lob off the ankle or whatever to save the rest of the body. Um, but I mean, quite honestly, though, I'm going to tell you right now, you know what my plan was? Because I knew, I knew I'm, I'm going to be poor as sin whenever I move out of my house or like move out of my mom's house and I move in my own place. You know what my plan was? Inflatable furniture. You remember? They used to have inflatable furniture. I was like, I'm just going to have an inflatable furniture couch. I'm going to have inflatable furniture, like coffee table. I'm going to have, you know, plates, (coughs) dishes. (coughs) I'm going to do like, you know, (laughs) disposable, all of the things. And I'm just going to sit here in my like empty, but, you know, like late 90s, early 2000s chic apartment with all of my like <laughs> inflatable furniture and then Which is you so know, chic. of course it is so chic it was like 90 late 90s early 2000 chic it was like and then you got those beads you know in front of like your doors that's how it was gonna be it was gonna be like that and then I quickly realized after I was not 14 anymore how dumb of an idea that would have been because I was like, man, I couldn't even have a cat. Like my furniture would get popped instantly. I'd just like, and then I'd be like, ah, and then, you know, of course I've got my, um, my inability to, uh, you know, and then it, it brings me back. And I'm sorry, this is a weird tangent. And, you know, you were saying earlier, like, oh, this is going to be weird. And yes, this is my life story. But when we first got our apartment, we had nothing because, you know, I had just gotten divorced my husband had just gotten divorced. I walked away with nothing. I told my ex, keep everything. I just want my car, my clothes, you know, just, you know, that's it. That's all I wanted. He could have everything else. And, you know, my husband did the, basically the same thing with his, with his ex-wife. And so we're sitting there, like we get an apartment, we have literally nothing. Like we were sitting on pillows and the carpet. Well, we had gotten an air mattress as our bed. And then we saved up money to get the bed frame. 
but we had no mattress. So we put the air mattress in that. And I had like, my birthday is July 9th. And I had gone out one night for my birthday. Um, my husband's best friend took me out because we have the same birthday. His is like the day before. And Matt, you know, my husband stayed home with the kids. And um, so we went out and I had a grand old time. So I was feeling really good. And I come home and I'm laughing and stuff like that. And I forget that the bed is an inflatable mattress. And I sat down really hard on the edge of the mattress and I launched myself forward into the wall, but I hit the wall so hard. I bounced off of the wall back onto the mattress. And then I bounced off the mattress because I hit that so hard into my nightstand and then I bounced off the nightstand back onto the mattress, back onto the wall again, and then fell on my butt. And I'm sitting here like that whole thing happened. And I, I just sat there looking around like my husband was like wild eyed, like, are you OK? And I'm just sitting here laughing my ass off because that was just it was comedy gold. And it's one of those things that like I really wish that there was a camera crew that followed me. Because that sort of thing happens to me all of the time. And I know I would be a millionaire if I could just get a camera crew to follow me because that's what happens in my life. But that's my absurd story for the night. You're welcome. And we thank you for it. (laughs) But breaking news, 14-year-old Kira didn't give a shit about the environment. I just want you to know that. (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) And as for the inflatable furniture, I did not have it. But my Barbie did because what that bitch has everything. I'm with you though. I'm telling you when I first, when I first moved out of my parents' house, it was mattress on the floor, right? Maybe a dresser, usually not mattress on the floor, a bunch of pillows and a TV with rabbit ears. If you were lucky, you know, and we're still that poor. So it's just, it's crazy. My, my dream when I was thinking about my house, what I was going to live in was never, I, I never went for the inflatable furniture, but I always thought that I was going to somehow or other make enough money that I could put a McDonald's in my basement. And that, that was going to be my house. Don't need a kitchen. You could have been like Cartman with, with, with KFC. <laughs> Just operate like a, a, a KFC cartel out of your basement. And then it would have paid for itself. Yes. Yeah. I didn't even think about that part. I just knew that that was what I wanted to eat every meal. And so I just needed to put a McDonald's in my basement. Well, I gave you a great idea. If you would like me to draw up a business plan for like a <laughs> a, a McDonald's cartel out of your basement, you'll let me know. <laughs> I, I will give you a call. I've seen I- South Park. I know how it works. <laughs> Here's the thing. I don't think that young Samuel uh, took into consideration the logistics of running a McDonald's or having a McDonald's in his basement because. Oh, not in the slightest. No, you got to, no. you got to storage you gotta have the grill you the know how nasty thing, greasy gross that would make the rest of your house smell too like the only the thing that i was thinking about needing was access to several hamburgers and french fries every day yeah what about the little awesome. marble round thingy that they used to have when we were little oh did not care just give me my hamburgers give me my french fries give me my sausage McMuffin with egg for breakfast and i'm a happy man See, I liked I, I liked McDonald's for like the little you know milk around with grimace and them on it and the hamburger. Yeah, I, I hate that they got rid of it because I would get on it and I'd ride and then you get off and you go to the wall, you run to the wall and push that little yellow button again and you go back and run back on it. By the time you get back on it, you've got like three minutes left of like the five minute thing. 
it's it was great but it reminds me of that gif with that girl who's like sitting there dragging the ground like that little girl around in the (laughs) (laughs) me on monday is that what you mean here's the problem with you having a mcdonald's sam is your ice cream machine will always be broken that's true i we're we're gonna skip that problem entirely and just not put in an ice cream machine i'm (laughs) again i just need my burgers my fries Sausage McMuffin with egg. Uh, don't forget the little the little McDonald's cookies. For some reason, they were no. so the little no. one, little animals, or no, the, the little the McDonald Land ones. No, no, I'm no. not coming. I was not a fan. No, you're weird. I do like the apple pies though. Oh my god, no. so- I will die on that hill. I have great <laughs> apple pies. The only thing Sam is saying right now is no, no. I know no. he's like no, no just burgers I- and fries. Th- there are give three things that it left for because I haven't mentioned anything to drink. But yeah, oh, yeah. give me a Sprite, give me my hamburgers, my fries, sausage mm-hmm. left with egg. It's all we need. Well, getting back to the subject at, at hand. <laughs> we squirreled. We so squirreled. You know, we're <laughs> and we have their home and trees, which takes me back Sam's to my- supposed Sam's <laughs> supposed to keep us together. And he's over here like McDonald's in the basement. And he's going along with the squirreling. So I don't feel bad. It's so funny that he said that about um, like when he was a kid, what he thought he would live in. I legitimately thought that I would live like not in the wild, but I was always fascinated with like little house on the prairie and like cabins and like probably what was in, in reality, these ramshackle shacks. Or, you know, these, these homes where the wind cut through the, you know, the, the cracks in the wood. But I always wanted to, like, live in, like, a cabin or in the wood. And I still do, actually, if we're going to talk about where we would love to live. I would love to live in the woods, in the mountains, with a good Wi-Fi signal. Doesn't have to be overly huge. I don't think as a kid I ever really... With the exception of wanting to live in Daddy Warbucks mansion, my thought of where I would live as a grown-up, you know, as an adult, was something relatively small, something made out of wood, you know, and I think it's funny that like what you see or what you watch or what you read as a kid really like influences these dreams or these thoughts oh, that yeah. You know, Sam wanted that water slide and he wanted that McDonald's. I just wanted to, I think I wanted to live in like a wooden house with like a hand water pump in the front yard. You know? <laughs> I'd really just be happy with anything that was near water. Like having the water slide or even a waterfall like in my house would be awesome. But just as long as there was some kind of flowing water that I could hear, like going to bed with the windows open and whether it's waves on the, the beach. Ocean. Yeah. yeah, waves on the beach is great or, you know, some kind of string, babbling little stream nearby or something like that. Like just have that kind of moving water sound near me is, is really the only thing. I, even to this day, like that's what I actually really want. Right. Well, see, and for me, and it's really funny that Pub said that about like things that you read and watch when you're younger. For me, I always wanted to have like a cottage, like, like one of those almost storybook cottages, like sleeping beauty and like her three godmothers like that kind of thing or um i was really really into like 
um, Elizabethan uh, times, like with their, their small little, like I would want a smaller home. Like I don't need a, like, I don't need a Pemberley or anything like that, but like a smaller little manor with like Ivy climbing up this side, like secret garden esque, like that's my jam. And I was like, that's so magical. And then have my own little garden and, you know, and then have the Ivy over the gate. So you can't even know the gate except for me because it's a secret. I was like, I could totally do that. That would be like peak for me. I still want that, by the way, that hasn't changed. (laughs) I go back and forth between wanting to be in like a beautiful wooden cabin in the woods or in the mountains or a little lake. Oh my God, the lake house. That's a beautiful house from that film, but a, a little cottage, a lakefront, oceanfront, whatever, where it's just like, you know, there's the, the stone walkway, the pebbles, the, you know, the river rocks that have been polished. And you're right with like the greenery has just grown up so much around it. You just see a little bit of that you know, I was going to say thatched roof, but maybe not, but you know, a little bit of the roof, a little bit of the stone, which of course is weathered. And let's not, let's not forget the Shire. I would live in a little Hobbit home today. I would, I would fit in a Hobbit home because I'm that (laughs) short. Like, does that count? (laughs) You can come, you can come visit me. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't live in one, but I would certainly fit in one. Like, I don't think I would even hit my head on the door walking through it. There's a, um, there's a resort. I can't remember where it is. I saw it on TikTok and I want to say, well, I've seen two. I've seen one that's like the Shire. And then you said the Sleeping Beauty. There's one that like each little, it's kind of like a little tiny house or like a little tiny cabin, but they're like princess themed or like storybook themed. And I was like, please. You know that the original Shire is still there, right? Like he ripped down the set for like the first movies and then they had to rebuild the set anyway, whenever he came back in. And so that is still there too. So, I mean, if anybody who runs that little Shire area knows, like, here's this. Hi, how how much does living in one of those cost? We would like to know. Yes. And how does that translate (laughs) feeling to America? Yeah, and right. And and, well, and, and then could we get it moved? I mean, like, we we oh. live here. We don't live there. Accept us as New Zealanders, oh or can God. we just can we just move it over? No, I mean, no, I would no. go to live in New Zealand if I could. Yes, ma'am. But I, I don't just, think they want my mess. I think they would love your mess. The Kiwis are some of the nicest people ever. I think they'd be like, <laughs> friggin' You're the I want the best mess ever because I can <laughs> laugh at you while you talk for multiple reasons. I wanted to ask you guys. I mean. Well, going back to New Zealand really quick. Have you ever heard or seen Taika Waititi? I mean, he's like, oh, the nice- I love him. So if there's a whole country of people like Taika, come on. I'm moving there. I right know. Now. I love him. And I never can say his name right. And like my husband, my husband calls me R2D2 because I can never say names right. So he's like, come on, beep, boop, beep, boop. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm trying, you know, so I never say his name right. But I absolutely adore his humor and I adore how fun he is and fun loving he is and free. And it's like, you know, he came under fire recently because of personal life choices. And I'm sitting here like, so the hell what? Like 
he could turn a pineapple upside down for all I care. It's like, I probably lost you on the pineapple bit, but. Well, I know he doesn't like pineapple on his pizza, so. Well, but- <laughs> it's the upside down pineapple is like a swinger icon. Girl, that's a whole nother episode. I'm just saying. That's I learned that recently. That's of content. So now, like, I sit there and I make sure that when I'm getting pineapple, like, whole pineapple from the store, I it's always upright in my cart and never upside down or sideways because I don't want them getting the wrong impression. <laughs> okay, but what is... They probably they probably wouldn't want me, but... <laughs> just what, just is, to be sure. what does it mean if the pineapple's in a can, though? I mean, is that code as well? Like, she poor, don't mess with her? <laughs> I don't... Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Now I'm curious. Well, you now know, I need a pineapple swinger expert on the show. Well, you know who lives in a pineapple under the Oh, we sang that today in the airport parking garage. Our seven our seven-year-old was like started singing it, and then all of the kids, because you know, I've got five, we all started singing it. And we're like, yep, this is one of those gifts that just keep on giving. Because I remember oh. when I was younger watching SpongeBob. And now they're all watching Spongebob. And I'm like, you know, this is like Simpsons and South Park and all of that for me. They're they're watching South Park now and Simpsons. I know you poor deprived child you. (laughs) There's so much stuff, Sam, that you have to catch up on. Like Puff and I have a running list and we know you'll never catch up on it in your lifetime. But we're trying. We're squirrels. So speaking of squirrels, speaking of Spongebob. Sam, have you seen any of Spongebob? Nope. Well, you're out of the conversation. Kira. You've been voted off the island, sir. (laughs) You are the weakest link. Goodbye. Um, We're kidding, people. We're not that mean to him on air. He puts Um, up with us pretty well. We appreciate him. Oh, no, he disappeared. Oh, see? He's like, fuck you. I'm gone. So this episode. (laughs) sitting there grinning and laughing. This episode not sponsored by nerdy nuts because it is uh it is pg-13 um so i was gonna ask i think we've dropped the more than one non-sexually related f-bomb so that puts us into our categories now oh crap well and then i talked about swingers and pineapples so we're nc-17 um pick a home from bikini bottom i'll pick a home from bikini bottom i don't know how to answer that appropriately stop it (laughs) We're going to be X in a little bit. Pick one, woman. I'm trying. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Because, like, you know, I would probably do the Krusty Krab. Because that's where he lives. He lives in his own thing. So, like, I would probably live there. Because then I've got all of the things I need and food. Like, a massive grill, all of this stuff. What about you? I'm thinking. Am I a, am I a, a sea critter or am I a land critter, like, Wait, are we supposed? Were we allowed to pick that? Oh yeah, secret or land critter? Yeah, I don't think it matters. I think it's just which home. Because technically, Sandy is a sea critter now. She has to wear a little bubble, right? Out in the sea. And and, but there's a difference because if SpongeBob or Patrick or Mr. Krabs go into Sandy's habitat, they desiccate, right? Well, I don't know about Mr. Krabs because he's a crab, and crabs come out of the water all the time. Oh, true. That's true. And crabs come out of them a lot, you know, (laughs) but um, I was going to say I would pick Sandy's habitat, but I had to decide if I was Sandy Cheeks, a squirrel, which let's be honest, I am. Um, 
I would pick her habitat just because it looks pretty cool with like the tree and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I gotta say, I'm more Squidward in the sense of the personality. So that Easter Island head is looking pretty good too. Well, see, and I thought about Sandy, but the fact that she actually lives underwater in that bubble and everything around her is underwater, it putting on a suit and putting like going through that whole rigmarole, that's worse than shaving your legs every day. As far as I'm concerned, I wouldn't want to do it. Like, I already don't want to shave my legs, but I mean, I, I would have to, to survive, to go outside and, you know, forage for food. And how is she getting nuts and stuff? Like, I mean, how does that happen? She's they come from her treehouse. Ah, we're back to the treehouse. You see how I do that? <laughs> we went full circle. Yay! So strategic. This is exactly done. how we planned. Mm -hmm. That's beautifully right. done. So I wanted to ask you guys really quick before we wrap up. Your idea, Kira, was inflatable furniture, disposable plates. I hate the environment. It can die. How do yeah. That I feel like for you, you said, you mentioned the air mattress in your first place. So you kind of realized your dream a little bit. And I'm sure that you mm -hmm. had paper plates and paper cups because starting out, we all know we poor. So Sam, you did not get a McDonald's in your basement or a water slide in your first home aside or even other homes. Did you ever get close to what you imagined as a kid? Like, do you have a fountain in your home now? Anything like that? No, no. Um, the other thing that I always imagined having for my home is an office study library kind of thing. And I have yet to actualize that either. Um, we have like every square space in the house has bookshelves on it. Um, but it's a shelf here, a shelf at the top of the stairs, you know, that kind of thing. Um I'm holding out hope that one day we'll be able to finish the basement. We can put in like a little office study room with all that kind of stuff in there at that point. But and a McDonald's now, kind of move. But you, like you brought up all kinds of great practical reasons why I don't actually want a McDonald's in my house. So like, yeah, we there. actually, as I was, when, when we first moved in here, I was kind of planning out what the basement would look like. If we got to finish. We put the office over here and this would be the entertainment room where we'd have it to our TV and then the, the laundry room back over here. And then this would be where the McDonald's cooking area was. Um, but I think we're going to scrap that now and we'll just expand the other rooms. You know what else Thank would you. be great in a basement is a bar if you drink. And if you don't drink, a frozen yogurt bar if you're not lactose intolerant. If you're lactose intolerant, <laughs> you'll have to make it i don't know is it gelato or, or you could go with soy, like soy almond milk bar yeah there you go or a taco or i like how she's coming up with these contingencies for all of our listeners who might have these issues she's like if you don't drink you can have a you know frozen yogurt bar and if you don't do lactose you can do this bar and i'm sitting here like wow that's pretty pretty impressive there look it up for everybody I am here for everybody. And, you know, if I can be as gracious and as accepting and understanding as I can possibly be, then I'm on meds because I'm jealous, first of all, that Sam has a basement. I don't because we can't build basements here. It's too sandy, something about the water table. I'm, I'm back to sandy again, but it's true. The soil is too 
something we can't, we can't build basements. We would die apparently. Um, and something about our water table, water level, things like that. So I'm always jealous. No, it's because if you dig down, then the water comes up through the ground. So like water table. It, yeah. yeah. It's one of the many problems of living in America's Wang. Right. <laughs> but you can't cement that because cement needs to dry unless you do Roman cement which I watched a whole documentary on, on Curiosity Stream, whom now can be a sponsor for us as well, because I love Curiosity Stream. But there was like a way that the Romans made concrete that set under water and they did it. They set it underwater and then they pulled it out once it set and like stood on it. And they're like, what? It's real cement. It's like you could do that. Well, Curiosity Stream, you have an amazing fan right here. So, you know. I watch them all the time. Like I'm like, I'm like the documentary weirdo. Like whenever I would go to my grandparents' house because we were poor, we never had cable. But that would be all I'd watch was like History Channel, Discovery Channel, National Geographic, Sci Sci Channel, or whatever Science Channel. And so now, like I love Curiosity Stream because it's got all of the history, anything that I could ever hope to watch, and it also does mathematical stuff, science stuff. It does everything. So whatever I'm in the mood for, I can learn about Boudicca. I can learn about dinosaurs. I can learn about, you know, AI and the brain and stuff like that. I can learn about all of these things. And it's so fun. But back to the cement. That would work. Because I learned it on Curiosity Stream. I just don't think that we are allowed because of well, the Texas, the we can't. It's so expensive because we got all the clay. It's hard to dig down. So yeah. we can't. I mean, it's important for us to have them because we have tornadoes and right. uh, tornadoes are nice and fun, you know, if you're above land. So being underground is way better, but yeah, yeah. it's so expensive to be underground. Oh, here. for sure. And what's crazy is not to start a conversation that's going to keep us going because we're already getting close in New York City. And I want to say in South Korea. Anyways, basement apartments or half basement apartments, which are in, I believe in New York City are not legal. People are dying because of like heavy rains and the basements get flooded. The basement apartments get flooded. And that just devastated me because I thought that was kind of the coolest thing. When my parents first moved to Kansas City, they lived in like a little basement apartment and my mom just described it and it sounded so cool and so cute. But guess what? They had a flood because <laughs> there was like a major storm or whatever. And it just, it destroyed like all of their stuff. So maybe on second thought, it's not a great idea for a home. There was a movie with Christian Slater where he had a basement apartment. And I can't remember which one it is because, and I, I love Christian Slater. I still do. Like he was great in Mr. Robot and stuff, but I, there was like a movie where he was in a basement apartment. And I always, I remember seeing that movie and I was like, that would be so cool. And they actually showed that kind of thing in, um, oh, what's that one with um, Natasha Leon? That's Russian Doll. I think they have like that showing in there too. And I believe she's in New York city, but it was like in older, you know, you know, decades ago where they had like the walk down and you go in that basement. And I always thought those were like super freaking cool, but yeah, the flooding and then, you know, lots of other different things like, you know, plumbing and gas and things that don't get handled. very well. 
But yeah, I always wanted one of those. I thought that would be really cool. Or to live like above a, a tiny shop. Like, you know, you go up the stairs and you live above the tiny shop. Oh, that would be perfect. Because then I can go right down there, grab food, milk, come back up. And that's it. And I'm happy. Listen, uh, that- I want to live above a bookstore. Oh, oh I could oh. not do that because I would be poor. Either you own the bookstore, or you just go down and you kind of treat it like a library and just hang out there all the time and read rather than, you know, rather than buy the books and then take them back to your house. You just read them and then leave them down there. Right. I don't do that though. Like my brain doesn't work that way. I had to like, when I was having, when I was going and getting jobs, I had to make sure specifically because I learned my lesson the hard way. And I was working at Best Buy. And this is where all of my money went back into because I would buy video games, I would buy things like that. So now it's a policy for me to work anywhere that I do not like to work or buy things from because then I won't buy things from them. And I did that like DSW. I didn't, I didn't listen to that wisdom. And I came home with shoes all the time. And I loved the shoes because then I would like, I would be stocking out shoes. So I would get first pick. And I was like, oh, look at these. These are now 80% off. Oh, look at these. These are also 80% off. So like I'm saving a ton of money, but I'm buying 50 shoes I don't need. So therefore I'm not saving any money. And you need to save money if you're going to buy a house or if you're going to rent an apartment because shit's expensive and you got to just really keep an eye out. I know my brother uh, wanted to buy a house this year and he dipped his toe in and he was like, oh, hell no, not right now. No, right now is a seller's market is not a buyer's market because people are being over outbid and you're getting way less bang for your buck, which is crazy because like. Right now, yeah, it'd be an ideal time for us to sell our house because it's it's like almost tripled in value of what we when we got it. But it's like, yeah, but in order for us to get a place that's as big as we've got now for like our billions of kids, because I am the old woman in a shoe, um, mm-hmm. I like we wouldn't be able to afford to get a place because it's like three bedroom, two bath are like going for four hundred, and I'm like, really? So we can't even move. And that's the thing that's happening to the people in our neighborhood is like everybody's having to sell their homes because they're getting pushed out cost wise for mortgages, but then they have nowhere else to go. So they're having to get into apartments with like three kids and all of this stuff. And they're having to cramp it, like, you know, downsize significantly. And it's like, come on, you know, come on, come on, people, let's not do this to each other. Cause I can't leave. And that's the other fun part about it is because you got like people on political spectrums everywhere that are like, well, you don't like it, leave. And it's like, you know what? Maybe I would, if I could afford it because I can't, I can't sell my house, uproot my kids, pay for all of this stuff and get out of the, get out of your state. Okay. So you need to calm down. Right. Exactly. Uh, Just FYI, there is a house that's shaped like a shoe in New Zealand. Just in case what? You for you it's and like your- New Zealand wants me. And for I you? want you. Because they've got and- the Shire and I've got a shoe. Sam, they have waterfalls. Ooh, they have waterfalls. Let's go. You all three live in New Zealand. Will New Zealand take us three? And they're going to take me. <laughs> well, guys, we have to wrap up. What parting thoughts do we want to give our listeners? One, for me, I'm sorry. I asked a question and then I jumped into it. I want people to check out what they can do locally because I know when we look even just nationally it's overwhelming much less if you try to look globally at the homeless epidemic and it is an epidemic 
not in a sense that it's a sickness because we absolutely value them and we respect them and they are in all ways equal human beings. But I want people to look locally, see what you can do locally. I mean, yes, I can't go out and rent a place for this woman and her, and her children on the corner because I can't afford it. But you know what I can do? I can find out how I can help. I can donate $5. It might not be a lot. So go to something like uh, nationalhomeless.org, the National Coalition for the Homeless. There's a bunch of websites out there that you can go to find out what you can do in your area. I know for a fact that there's at least two in my area, two uh, homeless organizations that help. Do what you feel comfortable and safe doing to help because everybody deserves to have a home, whether it's a tree house, it's a shoe, it's the Shire, it's got a waterfall, it's got a McDonald's in the basement. Nobody actually needs a McDonald's in the basement. Let's let's not kid ourselves. I mean, we want to be loving and accepting of other people. Nobody needs a McDonald's in the basement. You, <laughs> whether it's a studio apartment with a micro fridge and a hot plate, everybody deserves to have a home. Absolutely. That's my Yeah. I guess my words that I would really like to impress upon people leaving this um, episode, it, w- it would be to advocate, it would be to educate, and it would be to um, reach out and do. While you go to these websites and things like that, don't let it just stop there with you donating your money. Um, a lot of people don't have money to donate and that's okay too. It's, it's, it's calling your local leaders. It's calling, you know, your city council, it's calling your state legislator and representatives. It's, it's advocating for those whose voices are kind of silenced, not heard and not seen. And um, they're treated like a plague or a problem. And, that's a social problem. That's, that's not a them problem. That's a we problem. And in order to fix the we problem, we need to band together. We need to advocate and be their voice for them so that we can promote change. So um, advocate, call local city councils, things like that, get involved and see if you guys can come up with a plan in order to help fix a problem at its base rather than just put a bandaid on it. Absolutely. Don't, don't trim your toenails when you're having a heart attack. Look at the bigger picture. Any political figure that is running for office now or in the near future, look at their policies, look at how they, how they voted in the past. If they have look at what, if anything, they're putting forth to try to solve some of these problems. This is, broad spectrum. This is a, a, across all, you know, avenues, but specifically for homelessness, look at the people who are running for office now and vote for them. If they are the, if they're doing or promising to do what needs to be done, or at least have an idea of a direction to go in, support them. Right. And I would like to also say that, um, this is a political thing and I in no way, shape or form am advocating my political stance on anything. However, there is the straight, straight ballot voting because you're not doing anybody any service if you're sitting there only voting for a person based on one issue and one issue alone. Mm-hmm. So do your research, figure out who best fits all of these different things that you agree with and then vote for that person and go outside your comfort zone. 
go third party and look at that, go and, you know, do that, that research and educate yourself on these stances. Don't just, you know, hit a tick, hit a box because it's easy and then walk out because you, you think that that person's values align with your own values. Right. And they might not. Right. You see, this is why this group of creatives work so well together because Kira takes what I'm saying and she knows what I mean and she clarifies it. And then Sam chimes in and just smooths it all over. (laughs) I love it. But the point of everything that we always say, whether it's about the environment, whether it's about homelessness, whether it's about whatever, our point, I think I speak for all of us is everybody can do something no matter how small, no matter how big, everybody can do something because we're not limited. This is still the land of the free. We have voices. Some of us have more voices than other. Some of us are, our voices are heard. That's my thoughts. What about you, Sam? What are your final thoughts? Y'all have said a lot of good things and I'll affirm and and second that. Yeah. I, I guess my thought would be think locally really with any political issue, uh, something that's difficult to solve um, is not going to be easily dealt with by people in Washington and probably not by people in your state capitals either. Um, If it were easy to solve, somebody would have already done it. I've had enough connection and and time spent doing things with political people to, to know that the likelihood of something being done to address these kind of big problems is not going to happen in Washington, it's not going to happen by a policy change. A policy change would do it, sure, but nobody wants to take that on. And so if we're going to make change and we're going to, to do things to address these kind of problems, it really needs to come from us helping those that are in our circle um, and and that we actually touch and come in contact with. Um, and so while I don't want to, to poo-poo or discourage the idea of reaching out to elected officials, there are too many hate to say this because it sounds really harsh, but there are really too many cowards in office to get the things done that need to be done to address major problems like this. And so if we just look at contacting our elected officials and saying, hey, do something, nothing's going to get done. So the onus needs to be on us to look at what we can affect um, and where we can bring about change. And, And we can't help everybody, but we can help somebody. And so let's look for those opportunities to do that. Well, and in that, you're starting a chain reaction whenever you go locally and you start helping and giving to your neighbor. And then your neighbor starts doing that. And then everybody starts doing that. And it creates this this ripple effect. It's like, you know, a single drop in a lake, water droplet in a lake affects and ripples all the way to the shores of the other side. And um, I think that's where we kind of get lost because we don't know where to begin. We don't know how to do it. You know, we get discouraged because it's so small. It's such a small drop, but so much progress has happened just from small drops in history. I think that it's beautiful that you, you said that, Sam, because I agree. I think that it is within our hearts to do the, these things. And if we do these things, then it will spread. And then if it spreads all over the state, then the state can't ignore it anymore and they have to do something about it and so on and so forth. And it kind of creates a movement. Well said by both of you as usual. 
Well, guys, that's our time. Everybody say goodbye, and we will see you next time. Good to talk with y'all. Always. Bye. Bye, guys.